Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is the second episode of Season 7, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. This episode is not about dinosaurs on a spaceship. <laughs> this episode is written by Chris Chibnall, directed by Saul Metstein. It originally aired on the 8th of September, 2012, and was watched by 5.5 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Hello, this is Auburn. This is Josh. Hi, Frank here. Uh, hi, this is Brian, and welcome to our podcast of Walter Frey Needs to Get His Legs Fixed. <laughs> <laughs> hi, this is Kelsey, and yes, why, yes, I am a queen. This is Heather, and I don't have anything clever to say. <laughs> the doctor gathers the pawns, Queen Nefertiti, and a big game hunter named John Riddell to stop a Canada-sized spaceship from crashing too close to Earth. He accidentally recruits Rory's father, Brian, as well. They need to stop the ship before Earth forces destroy it. On the spaceship, they are nearly trampled by a group of dinosaurs on the spaceship to the joy of the doctor. He searches the computer to locate the engines, but he, Rory, and Brian are teleported to a beach that is covering a metal floor. They realize that it is the engine room powering the ship with hydropower. It is also protected by hungry pterodactyls. The three men run into a cave for safety, but come face to face with two very cross robots. During all this, they are being watched on a monitor by a man who recognizes the name Doctor. Or does he? Well, I, I found the key to happiness with this episode. Expect everything to be awful. <laughs> no expectations. Is that it, Josh? Yeah, that's right. I was really enjoying this up until a point, which I will tell you when we get there. I, I remember this was not something that should have ever happened. So going into it, I was like, I was enjoying it. And then like halfway through my section of liking it, I realized if this was animated, uh, well, this was animated, this would be, we wouldn't question it at all. Like all the ridiculousness of it that, that it had was felt ridiculous because it was, you know, live action. And then my next comment is, how much money did they spend on this episode? They, they, uh, they did it, spend a lot. I think it's the most expensive episode this season. Yeah, because the special effects, what a waste of great special effects. But, but yes, it's probably, it's the most expensive show in the season, but to me, it feels like a bottle episode where they had no money because all they do is talk. They rarely show. Nothing looked, I, I saw no mistakes, special effects wise. I saw some like higher, you know, extremely high end, lower end practical stuff, but nothing looked wrong. I didn't see any of the seams. No, I, I'm not saying they look wrong. I'm just saying at the end of the episode, I felt bored. Oh, the, the end? Well, it's, what am I trying to say? I'm trying yeah. to say that when you think back on this episode, you don't think of a big grand dinosaurs on no. this picture. It's like, no. It's people sitting around talking. Yeah. My vision yeah. for this episode, when I think about it, is dark, dreary, nothing memorable. I don't remember anything about this episode. I remembered that I did not like it. So historically, with this podcast, we sometimes watch episodes we did not like and appreciate yeah. them more. Mm -hmm. 
but this was exactly the same. No change from the first viewing. Right, I wouldn't even associate that with my memory of this episode. I, I mean, my memory of this episode yeah. is dinosaurs were on a spaceship, but it didn't live up to its teaser. And it and it was tonally, it was tonally such a tonal shift from the previous episode that I could not enjoy this episode. It was just too different. It was just I was I was, you know, Asylum of the Daleks didn't didn't really have a resolution to it. It kind of so I went into watching this episode wanting to like kind of, you know, resolve the previous episode. And it's just it almost feels like a season opener. I mean, I love the cold open i like this style of cold open is my cold open is my favorite type of cold open where we're jumping around in time we're being introduced to like we're getting the end of previous you know we're getting the end of adventures like but we don't see that and we're introduced to a new character brian who is also new to the doctor so brian is like our you know he's new so things are getting explained to him but like very quickly and in like one sentence I like this style of cold, cold open. I found this whole thing manic. It was completely manic. It was like slow down and slow down everything. So don't, you know, don't just slow down Matt Smith's talking, but like silly camera angles and strange close-ups and I thought it was supposed to be more of a farce, kind of like Love and Monsters. So you're supposed to just have fun with this episode. That's how it started for me. And then it just didn't live, it didn't follow that tone. It didn't continue it throughout the episode. And so it kind of didn't come together for me as well. But I started off liking it. And it was weird because the doctor showing Nefertiti the psychic paper because he gets a call that he oh, was And he had put the uh, sounds kind of like on our phones. So we got a beep, you know, the car horn. What was it? Mm-hmm. Aruga. Yeah. It was a car horn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The old horn. It's like, oh, it's a psychic paper calling him. <laughs> so did you know, did you notice the placement of that horn during the scene? It was a, an, an, an innuendo-ish placement of the horn. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I got to agree with you, Frank. I, I even through the end, because of because of what I know about this episode, I did have fun watching it. I just let down my guard and like enjoyed all the little. When I wasn't sitting there rolling my eyes anymore, because I knew I, I rolled them preemptively, I was able to uh, enjoy a lot of the little funny bits even throughout. But uh, um, per- yeah, personally, I I rewatched this after our previous recording, and then didn't watch it again until this morning. Um, and I definitely remember at the time the same emotions that you all have been describing and even (laughs) last two weeks ago um watching it and feeling the same way but this morning just something hit me different and i i really enjoyed it again uh maybe because i now knew and remembered everything that was coming so i i didn't have to like be cynical about it but um i think watching it this time it it harkens back more to like the old serials that Star Wars and Indiana Jones are kind of based off of than our current, than, than what was happening currently with Doctor Who at the time. Yeah. So yeah, today I was laughing at like all the jokes and, and really liking it. And uh, I mean, I was as surprised as anybody, but um <laughs> I think also it was just nice seeing Amy and Rory in a position that like I like seeing them. That whole first scene introducing Mr. Weasley, I mean Brian as um, <laughs> uh, Rory's dad, where Amy has her little like, how's my side, Brian? And he like gives her the, 
the, thumbs, the yeah. thumbs up and yeah like that reminded me of old amy and rory where they were you know cute forget about all this business 11 months ago or however long it's been according to them but yeah it's been 10 months apparently yeah no their relationship is just like yo-yoing back and forth when we're not there yeah it's like you mentioned it's been 10 months since asylum of the daleks because amy says hello 10 months and are they the new us referring to nefertiti and mm. riddle Right. Riddell. Right. Riddell. Riddell. Um, <laughs> before we move on, but I wanted to say something about watching this live. Before this episode aired, they made a big deal out of the title. Big, big deal. They were promoing it. And, you know, there were interviews with Moffat going, it's going to be dinosaurs on a spaceship. I mean, they made it. He just loves that title. He just thinks that's the greatest title ever. And so our hopes were actually raised even more so than a regular episode. And then he just kind of saw it and went, well, who cares? Brian, were we at Comic-Con at the Doctor Who panel when they premiered this trailer? Yes. I think that's what it was. It was at Comic-Con. Yeah, because it wasn't Asylum of the Daleks that they, they were um, promoting. It was Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. And so we were all pumped for this episode. And when you watch it, it, it doesn't live up to the hype that they had built. Mm -mm. And that's when we saw Moffat, right? Yeah, we saw Moffat. Remember, remember the excitement that he had about this title? Yeah. It, it, it's funny, I just still remember being in Hall H looking at that and go, I can't wait to see that. Mm. That's sad. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> there, there's one moment right at the end of this section where they first meet the robots and the robots, you hear them walking before you see them. And I remember thinking, because Jurassic Park is my favorite movie ever. You have taste. I remember thinking, I was so excited when I heard the footsteps. I was like, dinosaurs are then these freaking robots show up and I'm like, what? I was so disappointed. <laughs> that was the moment. I, I actually remember that being the moment from my first viewing where I was like, oh no, I'm losing it. This episode is really losing me. <laughs> and, and I'm always the positive person. Like I always try to say something good about every episode. Even like Love and Monsters, I love the whole ELO thing. I thought it saves the whole episode for me. <laughs> but uh, I don't, I, this episode was just boring to me. Yeah. And not enough dinosaurs. I know there was Tracy and she's great, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of dinosaurs lying down. It's so they cheaper didn't have to when move they don't move. <laughs> no, those those robots are a comedy duo in Great Deep Britain. Show. Yeah. Okay. Would that have had more of an uh, impact oh, on uh, that's the, who the they local are. audience? Yes, it would have been a more of a like I guess Easter egg for the uh, UK audience. Oh, we're there now. Okay. <laughs> well, Heather just. Well, I mean, up. I'll tell you who they're not. <laughs> they're not dinosaurs <laughs> on a spaceship. That's right. <laughs> So those the two voices of the the robots are David Mitchell and Robert Webb, and they play Mark and Jeremy on the sh the sitcom Peep Show, which also stars Olivia Coleman in I think first season. Hmm. Are British people laughing at us right now? Probably. Yeah. Fools don't know. Oh, they they tried to remake it, I believe, in like The Office has has been remade, and I remember not liking the American version. Yeah, there was an American version that lasted about half an hour. <laughs> so it did make coupling. it over to the States, but not the original. Not uh, Yeah, you, you can find Peep Show on, I think, Amazon Prime now. And it, Peep Show, it sounds dirty, but it's because they film from people's perspectives. So that's why it's called Peep Show, because you're looking mm, at a POV. Like a peeper. Yeah. Mm. The entire, yeah, you just keep flipping behind people's point of views. 
What are the people inside ro robotic? What's Tesla the doctor? Rack. Oh yeah, or like a Tesla act. Wait, what is it, Brian? We're good. A selecta. <laughs> you know, I try to like be like, okay, what is it about this episode that people did like? Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Oh. Yeah, I, I I like I, I like all Matt Smith's humor. I like what's it, who's the actor from Harry Potter? Well, oh, there's, there's two, two of them. David Williams. from Harry Potter. David, oh, Mark Williams was Brian. I liked everything with Rory and his father. Uh, uh, some of the comedy was a little over top, but over the top with him. But I also feel like he he does that really well. And I thought uh, Rory actually being more of the straight man than the comedy was interesting. So I, I was I was enjoying a lot of that stuff. And even towards the end where there was some father son stuff, I got a little choked up with it. So it definitely has its moments. Um, it's just, again, it's just all about expectations. When you're expecting a dinosaur and you get like uh, Muppet robots, it's not going to hit you well. I thought it was a great transition from Amy and Rory's house to being the inside of the TARDIS. Yeah. That really... worked out really well. They were moving. You couldn't see any, I didn't see any like Matt Lyons or anything when it was transitioning. It was just done really well. Even yeah, with like Amy moving with her hair, a lot of times that's when you can see the difference. I expected, so... I because also what I expected was the TARDIS to come into the room and cover them. And then we would cut inside. So to, to see, because then I, the fact that the, the the room itself got bigger, like Right. I first thought, oh, that's what everyone experiences when that happens. I thought that was a really cool touch. Agreed. Agreed. The plug from the ceiling just disappears, though. I thought it should have gotten cut. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and also the Ankylosaurus coming out of the elevator. I thought those looked really well done. Yeah. I, I really liked the, those, the dinosaurs coming out of the elevator at first. I, it's harder to tell on our new like flat screen Tvs but they kind of break the glass of the TV screen as it goes oh, into really? the the main title like you got a warranty uh, on that like at the corner you see like a little crack I, mm -hmm. I think I think it would look better on like a regular CRT but you can kind of oh, make it out right. Wow yeah. and I, I think there's some there's some great writing in this if you are able to receive it <laughs> right there's a, yeah. there's a really good collection of dialogue. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really good little bits. I won't even go so far as to say scenes, but there's little bits of back and forth that are really good in this episode. Yeah. yeah so when I say writing, I mean dialogue. Yes. Like Who's that's what I found myself writing mostly is like lines. Like, oh, that's a great line. Yeah, it's a great line. Yeah. Like six hours is a lifetime. Well, not literally. That's what we're trying to avoid. I mean, <laughs> that's just fun, like stumbly. Like, I like it. And what kind of the correlation between Rory and his dad? Because Rory's, we know, similar to Brian, Mr. Pockets, in that he would take the <laughs> out of pockets and have all his stuff going on. And when the doctor tells him to dig onto the beach, Brian just pulls, pulls out the trowel. He's like, you kept that in your pocket? Of course I keep a trowel in my pocket. You never know when you need it. Put it's it on like, your Christmas yeah. list. <laughs> you know that story, Eugene? Mr. Yeah, we, we've said it here on uh, the yeah. Runaway Bride. Runaway? Oh, okay. God, you've got a memory. Because it was part of a wedding. <laughs> yeah. Another piece of writing is that the doctor says, better get shift on. And this is Chris Chibnall writing this, which is something that Jodie Whittaker as the doctor says a lot. Oh, I didn't catch that. Explain yeah. that to me. Better get yeah. shift on? It's a term. It happens when they're in the ISA control room, which is the India Space Agency, and they're monitoring the... Um, the Canada-sized ship coming down, and he says, well, it's coming down fast or something like that. 
and he says, "Well, better get shift on," meaning we better get to it. Oh, that's a saying. It's, yeah, it's a it's a slang term where it's like if you've got a bunch of people in a room and you need them to get out, you just say shift, shift, oh, shift. All right. The British people are laughing at us again. <laughs> yeah, that's her Geronimo. Yeah. I know we're at the end of this section, but Kelsey did have uh, an interesting like point about the writer and our current doctor. Oh, well, it's just, you know, uh, it's very hard not to watch this and think of Graham and Ryan. And you know, Brian is very much like a Graham and um, talking about like the, the current Doctor Who series, which is um, spearheaded by Chibnall. So you can kind of see like, even, you know, as he's he's getting to write this episode, he's like, I really like the idea of a gang or a fam traveling with the doctor. And even when when the doctor is like, hey, we're, I'm gonna call us a gang. I can remember the episode where the 13th Doctor is trying to come up with a name for her gang and she's like she's like gang no I don't like that fam but but also with like what what Eugene just brought up you know um but yeah it was it was very interesting watching this now with like us being in a Chris Chibnall Doctor universe I think there was a lot of good meat in here that they if they just pulled it out more and rearranged it a little bit because I remember to one of your other points once they explained why there were dinosaurs on the spaceship I was actually like oh that's kind of cool very cool idea. And then it was, yeah, and, and it was just total exposition. Yes, it then prompted the the villain to do what he did later, but that idea of it, that was a little bit more um, showcased. It wouldn't have the problems with it. Nephi, Rydell, and Amy explore the ship and come across a sleeping baby T-Rex. They leave before Mommy comes back and find a room that is overgrown with plants like a greenhouse. Amy activates the computer and discovers the ship is a Silurian Ark but the Silurians have disappeared and the ship has been boarded by someone else. Something else. The Green Arrow. <laughs> but Josh, you're right. I mean, that's a great that's a great premise and using the Silurians really makes it fit in the Doctor Who universe. You know, the yeah. Silurians were of that time. They would have known what was coming and they decided to save the dinosaurs. Right, because I was wait. I didn't, again, I didn't recall a lot of the facts this episode, which is what happens to me a lot when I'm rewatching these a few years later. So, well, yeah, I was waiting for a stupid reason why they, they were dying. Like, are they not real dinosaurs? Are they robot dinosaurs? Are they genetically engineered? Like, like what kind of stupid cockamamie thing excuse did they come up with to put dinosaurs on the spaceship? And then when the explanation came out, I was like, oh, that's actually quite interesting. I wish that was more what this episode was about. Like, the Silurians yeah. were still there, and... I don't know, maybe the doctor was, maybe it was another Pompeii thing where the doctor was like, no, they have to go. And yeah. I don't know, just, it would have been a cooler idea if they had just stuck with I think they were so enamored by the idea of dinosaurs on a spaceship, they didn't themselves feel much need to beef up any other part. I agree. Mm. Yeah, I think like, uh, you know, you had the wave engines with the pterodactyls, but you never got a big Jurassic Park style, like right. bunches of dinosaurs, herds or something that I think would have been the one, the one scene that might've helped it. That was purely money based. They always, every few whatever minutes, uh, so they drop some special effect in there that, you know, is a bit of a wowzer. I mean, Tricy licking um, Brian, <laughs> like that was that was really great. Practical mix with, um, I'm sure there were CG elements there. Oh yeah, and the wides. 
But at the same time, it's clearly ripped off of Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To what Josh said about the Silurian, how it was written into this episode, Chris Chibnall wrote Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. That's also Richard Hope who played uh, Melike from mm -hmm. Hungry Earth and Wedding of River I was going to ask you that, yeah. Wedding of River Song, but here he plays a different character. I think it's pronounced Lethal. And he has one interesting line of dialogue. Um, I love it when he says, they saved 50 species and all but one are doing well. And that's all we ever hear. Yeah, you're right. It's not, a, so it's like, it's not a plot point. It's just something someone would say recording a log. And I like that. It's just like, okay, you know, this is a real situation and this is what a real person would say recording this log rather than everything out of his mouth is exactly what the protagonists need to solve the problem. I wanted to bring up about Amy and Rory not really needing to go anywhere else. They've reached who they are because Amy now has her companions of Nefertiti and Riddell and Rory has his companion of Brian, you know, and they're kind of taking over the thing. Amy's figuring out how to work an alien computer she's never done before and takes control and acts very doctor-like when going, well, that's a surprisingly mm -hmm. good question, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. Nephi and Riddle's flirting I don't really like, but I do like Amy's reaction to it. Yes, yes. Uh, she's really, she does really well with that. That was fun. I think on paper, uh, on paper, those two side characters are, are interesting, but, and it's not like they were bad actors at all, but it was so hammy and cliche, all, like their performances yeah. in general, like it just, it was very, again, it was cartoony. And a lot of the stuff that happens in this episode that we don't like, if it was a cartoon or if it was animated, if you want to call it that, um, I think we would have loved it. But I like that part of, this, of it. Yeah, I mean, again, like watching it this time didn't bother me so much, but I think we would have loved it on first viewing because there's a suspension of disbelief you don't even need when you're watching something animated. To Heather's earlier point, like they could have drawn a big dinosaur. It's, it's no much. It's no more money to draw a big dinosaur than it is to, uh, I mean, it, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's no more money to draw a big dinosaur compared to uh, making one in special effects. Maybe what they could have done is they could have gotten a little girl who scribbles things and then they come to life. <laughs> That's how the dinosaurs got on. Who would ever station. believe that? <laughs> Maybe she was the one species that wasn't doing well. <laughs> But to me, that's that for Josh, it's the opposite in that I thought it was the tone that they had set with the title of the episode and the cold opening and the you know bit of farce and fun. And so they did play it overboard. So I thought those two actors got what the tone was supposed to be when they were giving the script. And I think somewhere along the line, it changed. I mean, even some, the whole Brian and holding the ladder for Brian, you know, oh, Rory, you're not holding it right. Oh yes, Amy, you're doing wonderfully. You know, that's the kind of overdone, just having fun and with so it. I, I mean, Frank, you didn't like this when you first saw it though, did you? I still don't, but I, I am finding <laughs> more parts to yeah, like yeah. about it. But overall, yeah, that's, no. That's the thing. Uh, I mean, my only, yeah, my only, that's not even like an argument. My only comment on that was we wouldn't even give it a second thought if it was an animated episode of Doctor Who. Uh, right. But, but like to your point, yeah, I was enjoying all that little stuff because, like, again, I like rolled my eyes really hard before it started. You, you did a pre roll? <laughs> yeah, I did a pre roll. It's an industry joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about this, unless I missed it on the other episodes. The color of the credits of the time vortex. Mm -hmm. We did mention it last time, so go ahead. We and did mention okay it again. Uh, well, it was well. I don't was it yellow or green? I don't know. I'm colorblind, so 
Eugene, uh, can you elaborate more? I'm curious about that. Yeah, this one is more of a yellow. And Was there, is there a, any behind-the-scenes reasoning for it? Well, when Asylum of the Daleks, they texturized the text to look like the Dalek orbs. And then in this one, for dinosaurs on a spaceship, they texturized it to look like scale, like s texture for skin for the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah and then um, Walter Frey does like call them Liz. Oh, he does call them. Never. Scratch that. Take it out. <laughs> He's Mr. Filch to me. <laughs> yeah, but he's not dressed like Filch. I was going back and forth. Yeah. Guys, he's, he's he's dressed more, more like Filch. Hmm. But it's nicer for the Harry Potter reunion if it's Filch yes. and Mr. Weasley. That's true. Yes. Well, one of my favorite small roles of his that actor is um, in Hot Fuzz and he plays yep. the old farmer guy that they can't have, they can't understand until the one time he goes, I suppose. <laughs> and then he goes, I suppose. And they're like the, I, the line that I remember loving from that scene is everybody's got guns, even their moms. Like who? Farmers and their moms. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, yes. I, I but I butchered it, but it's basically saying like everybody out here has guns, even their mom, even my mom. I can't remember. Everybody, everybody and their mother has a gun. I think is there. That's what it is. Like. Everybody and their mom well, has like guns. Like, well, farmers like, and their moms. <laughs> right. I mean, I've seen that movie, but I'm not. It's good dry British humor, Heather. Like you may not get it. <laughs> Right. I'm like Team America today with all these comments. <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah. Did anybody else think it was weird that Rydell was a character? Why? The doctor went and got a big game hunter. A big game hunter. You know, yeah. the big, you know. Is that a real person? Uh, I it's looked it up and I didn't find anything. It's inspired by Alan Quartermain, which is the UK uh, version of like Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. If we're gonna wonder why he's there, you need to explain why he's there. But in this episode, it would have just been another exposition dump and we don't need it. Yeah, like he could have dropped in on him. Like, let's say like they could have inferred like he had a redemptive moment and he doesn't, he's not a big game hunter anymore. So when the doctor shows up, he says, I'm done with that. I'm a nurse. You know, and that, yeah. <laughs> and then the doctor could say like, well, that's why I'm coming to you now, you know? So he needs his skills, but, but it also surprises me that like Nefertiti, one of the most most famous real people in in the history of the world is one character and some fictional guy that references some other guy that's relatively well known you, you know like i'm surprised to hear that wasn't a real person that character is just a british stereotype it's not yeah, but never but nefertiti they chose a specific person person yeah it's it's odd that like he goes back in time to grab two people from history one's real and one's not like it doesn't quite jive with well he was okay he was with nefertiti and he's like okay keep we're going to continue on our adventure because we just had one and we're not ready to stop and then he goes gets the pawns and we understand why he would get the pawns yeah but we never get the storyline reason for him to go back and get Riddell. Only you need him right. later on because you're facing animals, which the doctor right. doesn't know at the time, so he picks that one particular companion kind of person. Right, so if we knew who he was. Team and animal quality that is not known that it's gonna be needed. So then it's like, oh good, luckily he picked that one. Right, so if, if we knew who he was already, it would have been like, oh, of course he went back to get him. And just so, right. and the special guest star is Nefertiti. It just felt like we had two guest stars and one of them was famous. It just felt unbalanced. They wanted to write a story and they just had to pull it in and they did not do that well plus that's a pretty well-known character actor in england oh yeah, yeah he's a yeah. good actor he's a very good actor he's sherlock lestat lestat lestrade lestat's a little different sherlock i had to look it up i had to look up at the whole time i was like oh he's so familiar not a big fan i mean 
I understand that it's a period character and an, a stereotype character, but I guess what bothered me is not so much the way he was, but the way Nefertiti kind of dug it. Right, especially his misogyny. I was, I was like, lady, you should have smacked him across the face. Like, why are you into this? Gross. I know, she should have thrown an asp at him. They got those in their pockets back then. <laughs> I hear those are very dangerous. Yeah, I hear that too. I feel like this episode is, I was going to say, is the most British episode I've seen in a while, but I think it's even bigger than that. It's the most UK episode. Like, you have the all of these ex-colonies or whatever, like the India Space Agency. You have the, the spaceship compared to Canada. You have those uh, two comedians from Peep Show. Even Riddell, like you're saying, is... Uh, a British stereotype. And then I know Nefertiti is famous, but I, I don't think she's as famous in the US. As Cleopatra. At, right, as, so I'm sure it's like, because the British Museum has Nefertiti's, you know, that whatever is. casket and everything, she's the one that is famous to them. Um, so it's, I think that's also kind of why it's not landing as well with us because we're not making all those connections just because we didn't grow up in that, that culture. But I don't think they stick with it. Even the, um, like the coming up uh, at the end of it, like uh, for it's a town American. called Mercy is very American. They even like call out who's American here in the- I'll buy that. <laughs> Well, uh, Alburn, to your point about Nefertiti, I think they chose to write her into the show because there's a historical gap in her, her life. So I think that's why mm. they had fun with this. They could mm. kind she of make up their own. Yeah, they could make up their own fan fiction of what happened. Hmm. At one point, all of record of her just doesn't exist, which explains the end of this of how she could be with yeah. Rydell forever. I don't want to go too far, but yeah. No, no that's every, it. Every mention of her just stops like she no probably just died death yeah nothing nothing no, nothing happened anything, yeah but nobody wrote it down or any record of that got destroyed and and then the, i remember rupert graves who plays riddell showing up on that trailer and the crowd went crazy because this is also when sherlock is being pop mm. is popular as well so it to me it was moffat kind of throwing throwing his friend a favor kind of like you know do two of these shows hmm. i don't know if that's accurate but those are two theories that i have when i was looking back at this episode the robots capture the three men play ball with the triceratops and then take them to their leader solomon he tells them that he was attacked by raptors and asked the doctor to heal his legs when the doctor hesitates, Solomon resorts to blackmail and orders the robots to injure Brian. Solomon is a pirate gathering both things and people to sell. Amy calls and tells them that this is a Silurian ship, but there are no Silurians. Solomon confesses that he jettisoned them into space so he could sell the dinosaurs. When the doctor wonders why Solomon is still heading for Earth, he says he doesn't know how to change the automated course. The doctor warns him that the ship will be destroyed unless Solomon leaves the ship. He, Brian, and Rory escape on the back of a Triceratops. And that's where it lost me. <laughs> <laughs> 
usually I'm not a fan of our cast getting separated, but it's usually when the doctor like sends them away. But I am a big fan of the cast getting separated by accident. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one thing I wanted to praise as well is that the separation of the companions to me feels like classic Who, but it's like written for modern viewers because that's something that they did when uh, like Tom Baker and Peter Davison had multiple companions, they would have to naturally split the crew up. And this one was great having Amy being the surrogate doctor for the separation of the crew. And, um, and we get to just see more of Rory kind of shine, which is always welcomed, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think if if there's one thing about this, it's that Chibnall can handle a lot of characters, and I think he does it pretty well. Like, um, I like how all the separated groups, like you have the Doctor and Rory and Brian, and then Amy and Nefertiti and Riddell. You even have Solomon and his two robots. So you have like these three groups of three, like kind of structurally throughout the story, and then they all come together at the end. But no, I I, I think from a structure point of view with handling all these characters, I liked how how Chibnall was able to split them up, but keep dialogue going because each of them had their own little group to keep like bouncing exposition and bouncing like what's next off of each other. So you didn't have to have either one person alone with their thoughts or like with their dread. You know, you got to have that snappy conversation in each little pod that we went to. So yeah, that was really good on him. Yeah. And no one was worried about the other groups. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's, I think that angst wasn't there. It was like, okay, something happened, we're gonna figure it out. And they just had that without showing it, needing to show it. It was just flew. Yeah. Flowed. Excuse me, flowed really well. <laughs> it, it's almost more like, um, you know, one of the things that I praise Star Trek for is all of the crew are professionals and everybody trusts the other yes. crew to do their jobs. Where here you had, like you said, nobody was worried. Everybody trusted yep. that the doctor was going to keep Rory and Brian safe, mm-hmm. that Amy was going to keep Riddell and um, Nefertiti safe, that, yeah, and that they were all going to continue to work the mission to like save the day. And, and what I also like about this splitting up is that we get some callbacks to previous seasons. Like the one that first came to my mind was take us to your leader when the doctor says that. And uh, the ninth doctor, Christopher Eccleston, said that way back in Aliens of London. And then when Amy calls Rory, uh, their cell phones are still functioning. And that's what the ninth doctor did for Rose's cell phone. And then the 10th doctor for Martha and then 10th doctor for Donna. So it's like something that is consistent with what we know, but we didn't see that. I kind of like that. We know it's going to happen, so it just sort of happens. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are, sorry, there are two things that happen here with the doctor. He mentions that he might be a Sagittarius. <laughs> right. Probably. Right. Which is funny because I think that the first episode of this aired, or Doctor Who, the show, aired on November 23rd, which is sort of around Mm-hmm. that time that you would do the zodiac calendar and then when they're looking at the iv system when the doctor gets scanned he's uh, noticing that there's nothing like there's nothing there to give him information uh solomon that is right it's going to come back later but then i think it started in asylum of the daleks where the doctor is being erased mm. as far yeah, as his, his evidence of him Right, that was something that was done on purpose. That's not some super natural yeah. thing because of timey-wimey stuff, yeah, it'll, right? It'll, it'll come back later, so that's why I'm bringing it up now. Right, yeah, yeah. I liked the fake out, though. With um, In the beginning, we think that Walder Frey, I don't know his name. Um, <laughs> Solomon. Solomon. 
Solomon, thank you. In the beginning, um, right. to believe that he knows who the doctor is. And then it turns out he just wants a doctor to fix his legs. And I actually really liked that little twist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what sells it is Matt Smith's reaction to that. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does fix his legs. Isn't that great? Lucky Solomon. Yeah. Well, somewhat. He's and you know, this is, this is a good example, Josh, about saying, not showing. He leans over. We never see his legs. We never see the wounded legs, ever. And he just kind of leans over and talks to Solomon while he's doing something that we don't see. And then he's like, okay, you're fine. Sit up. And it's like, it's again, the whole thing that, of Solomon up until this point was, I want that doctor to save my legs. But they don't even care so much about it that they don't even show it. Right. Well, the, just... the doctor takes a peek and is disgusted by it. And and then he has like some, he injects him and it hurts. Like he, he does some things. But think no, that's Brian Rory is... to Brian. Hmm? Isn't that Rory to Brian? Here, no, this won't the, hurt. The and doctor also has some medical things that he jabs his legs with. It is during a conversation. Hmm. This is the motivational point of Solomon of why he wants the doctor and to bring him here. And yeah, it's it's the catalyst for what gets him here, but nobody cares about it. They kind of went over really quickly that they killed all the Silurians. Mm. Oh yeah, there are thousands of empty, empty stasis pods, but that's all we found. And then he let them out group by group. I didn't even catch that part. I just, it went by so fast. I, I was just like, oh, wait, what did he do? All right, I guess he killed them. How? I don't know. Something else has happened. What's going on? So it's just so what a we, lot of that. We think of as important, they just kind of glossed over. That's why I think we're having an issue with this episode. I don't know if it justifies could, it, could but have it, had, it. <laughs> could have had a little bit more emotional impact. Although, I mean, I did get an emotional impact from when Amy says it. But um, again, it's just exposition that we're told. It's like yeah. you're looking at a monitor that shows all the life forms at one point and no life forms in another point. You could have had a quick thing where it's like all the little dots get blown out and then have an Amy say, oh my God, he jettisoned them all into space. And at least we would get some uh, connection to it. Especially yeah, since this is a like reoccurring that. race. This is a reoccurring species that we've been invested in. Yeah. No, all that, I mean, I didn't even know what she was pointing at. Like, it was just like, they could have been pointed at anything. Oh, look, they're in the middle. What? Okay. I guess I don't <laughs> believe that because you just said it and you're on TV. Well, that was a good Amy with her companions moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, no, okay, so good. spot it the was... difference. And the companion says it. So it's like, okay. And her eyes, no. Carrie did really well. You know, her eyes just going, good. She sees that. And then they yeah. found out they well, Yeah, good. exactly. The moment was fun. But uh, to Brian's point, it's just like, wait, right. what? Oh, okay. I guess I just had some fun. What's next? It's just, and then you forget, and it's like, so why were the dinosaurs on the right. on the ship? Yeah, that that was something I did not pick up on my first watch. Rewatching it this week, I was like, oh, that's what happened. I forgot about why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Earth contacts the Doctor and informs him that they are launching the missiles. Solomon knows he can't take the dinosaurs onto his small ship and wants to take Nefertiti instead. He has the robots kill the Triceratops to show that he will kill them all if they don't hand over the Queen. Boo! <sighs> Amy, Riddell, and Nefertiti are watching this through the computer monitors, so they grab tranquilizer guns and transport themselves to the Doctor. Nefertiti insists that she goes with Solomon and pay back to the Doctor for saving her people. Solomon transports back to his ship with the Queen and the robots. 
This moment with Riddell and the Trank guns would have been perfect for what we mentioned earlier, where he's like, I'm a big game, or I was a big game hunter, but these are Trank darts. They, you know, it looks like a big, like elephant gun, but I'm not gonna harm them. That would have been a great, like these moments of just little exposition lines that make us move forward. That was, I think, what they were trying to do, but in, I guess, a more British way. Um, so we didn't have that big thing that Eugene wanted, the, the turn of the persons. You know, it's like, oh no, it's just really subtle. And how did he yeah. recognize that they were trying? <laughs> See, that that would yeah, have yeah. played more into his character. He he's uh, aware of firearms and what they do, and that that would have been character building stuff that they I think they missed. Mm. Yeah. Maybe we're supposed to believe he learned that stuff on his last adventure with the doctor that we know nothing about. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> we, These we look like Salorian even... trank darts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, when you're getting the silly dinosaurs on a spaceship, yay! And, and, you know, Rory's dad, Brian, just, you know, being befuddled a lot of the episode. And then all of a sudden you just kill the Triceratops. I get why it happened in the plot, but it's a big tonal shift. Yeah. Bad mode. Bad form. Yeah, yeah. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. My biggest problem, and like this is where the turn was for me, was when the Triceratops was acting like a dog and friendly. And, you know, not only did it let it ride, but it was playing fetch. And, I mean, I'm not, not to be the pedantic... Gave him kiss. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> not to be the pedantic nerd, but fetch is a predatory instinct. So there's no reason a, a cow ain't gonna never play fetch with you. Yeah, they do. You know. <laughs> My sister has a cow and they've got the big ball that they play with the cow. Do they really? Yes. Oh my I'm God. I'm gonna YouTube cow fetching right now. So it's right not now. a fetch. I think what you're saying is correct, is that it's not fetch, but it's the, you know, Tracy smells the ball. Yeah, it was just, it was a fun. very quick, like, it was a real reach. And again, uh, that's where it started to kind of be cartoony to me. That's when I thought, like, I bet you if this was a cartoon, I'd be fine with it. Right. Um, but but what you were, oh, what you were saying, Eugene, they could have just, you know, supporting your point, though, they could have just easily, his character could have been a reformed big game hunter instead of a big game hunter. Right. Like they could, they needed something in there to do what you were saying. Yeah. And I'm only bringing that up because we brought something earlier. I was like, that would have been the perfect place to yeah. put that if they weren't going to show us the previous yeah. adventure. I recognize tranquilizer darts anywhere. I had to build my own. Right. <laughs> yeah, see? Something like that. Back in Nam. Yeah. <laughs> that um, didn't happen yet. He was 1902. Well, that's what uh, I mean. He had, to, he had to create them his, his own. Artist. Filled, uh, filled them with ether. Because <laughs> he's back yeah. then it might have been heroin. Or opium. Opium, yeah. Um, Did we get the, the doctor kissing Rory yet? I don't know, but that was great. <laughs> okay, um, I'll bring it up later. Not yet. Okay. But a personal also, dream come true of mine. <laughs> <laughs> it got me that Earth is contacting and saying that they're going to launch the missiles because the ship is in Earth's atmosphere. Isn't that a little late? And what do you mean yeah. it's going to take you 30 minutes to get it if the ship's already in the atmosphere? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, somebody just decided to type. I think on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Monkeys. I think this episode went through a ton of re revisions and they didn't catch everything. Yeah. Okay. The missiles are getting close, and bingo, the doctor has an idea. They transport to the ship's control deck where he magnetizes Solomon's ship so he can't leave and has Rydell watch out for dinosaurs. They find that the Ark ship needs two helmsmen to change the automated course, two people that share a genetic code, just like Rory and Brian do. What luck that Brian came on this trip. 
<laughs> Rory and Brian guide the ship away from Earth as the Doctor and Amy fiddle with some wires. Amy wonders if he is trying to wean them from him. He says that he was just giving them space to have their own lives. Rydell says a pack of raptors are near the entrance. Amy goes to help him and the Doctor teleports to Solomon's ship. I really like that Brian was the one who came up with the realization of the genetic link. Yeah, and this is I agree. This is one That's of those great. moments that I think Alburn was mentioning about lines of dialogue because uh, the doctor says, so Brian figures it out. He like raises his hands and says, well, me and Rory are genetic thingies, what you just said. <laughs> and then the doctor goes, Brian Pond, you are delicious. I'm yep. not a pond. Of course I'm you are, it. sit down. <laughs> Both of you, lickety-split. Ship does all the engineering. The controls are straightforward. Even a monkey could use them. Oh, look, they're going to. Guys, come on, comedy gold. Where's the Silorian audience when you need it? <laughs> that was good. That was yes. a great line. Yeah. That was yeah. a great whole run, but I laughed out loud when he called him a pond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. But I, the one in this group, I guess, who didn't like that Brian figured it out. But honestly, I did like that idea in this situation because we've already had that the Silurians are born, you know, genetically together. They're the sisters. They're, they looked alike. They had that gene. So I don't think they built this in as a failsafe or anything. It was just Silurians. You two are the same family pod. So they just built it that way without thinking that it was anything strange. Well, also, if, if you want to think about it, the TARDIS brings him wherever he's supposed to be. The TARDIS made a point to appear and also grab Brian as opposed to the day before, the day after or outside or something like that. See that? It's That's like good hand waving. Yeah, but like but, yeah, they could. I think what you're gonna. Uh, I know you so well, Eugene. Let me, let me, let me, let me. Let me guess <laughs> what you're gonna say. <laughs> um, so it would be like, um, well, isn't it a? Co they could have said that. Isn't it a coincidence that you showed up and then someone like the doctor would have could have said like, well, the TARDIS always brings me where I need to be. So good old girl brought me right in the right in the living room where you were. That reminds me, sorry to interrupt. Is that what you were going to say though? Am I right? It's gonna... it's not, but I'm. it, it is what I um, would have thought. <laughs> He'll take credit for it, but it's not. <laughs> but what I wanted to say was I like Frank's point of uh, the controls of this ship being dual with the genetic code. And I felt that that is a great world building thing that we should have spent more time kind of spotlighting. It felt... Mm -hmm. I felt that this could have built upon the uh, Silurian's character's story. Yeah, you could have built up the familial bond more, and then possibly Walter Frey. Um, <laughs> didn't, he doesn't have a family. The only people that will stay around him are robots he stole. You, you know, there's so much rich opportunity, yeah. you know, um, among it to... Uh, Oh, that would have been great if he was lying about his legs being attacked by raptors and instead he tried to clone himself by taking genetic material from himself and it didn't work. Like, that Ooh, would have been that. cool. Yeah. Well, oh, anyway. to fly the ship. Yes, to fly the ship. Oh, look at you. I was like, <laughs> yes. I, I thought to my, I just thought to myself, well, that's a cool idea, Eugene, but that's just throwing another story in here. <laughs> but no, that's, that's a cool idea. I like that. Cool. The talk about um, the TARDIS reminded me when Solomon was wanting to find something to take from the ship, like his thing scanned the ship. I was expecting the TARDIS to be what he found that was like so valuable. Yep. Yes. And then it, it threw me for a loop, even even rewatching it, that it was Nefertiti. So I'm like, oh, it's got to be the TARDIS. But yeah, that's what I thought as well. Yeah. So that was. How uh, would they have gotten out of that? 
if it was the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. I know how accurate all the artistic representations of Nefertiti are for facial recognition purposes, so. Well, that scanner is, <laughs> it uses UV or IV light to Oh, I see, so the... it would know the bones. Okay, no, yeah. very good, very good. Well, and it knows I'm everything be... in the, the, seven, the nine galaxies? Right. The seven no, galaxies? Okay. Sure, sure, I get it. No argument there. And it's, is this the moment, again, where Rory is, gets kissed by the doctor? <laughs> I'm sorry. Around oh, there, I again, think. Again, I okay. just want to bring that up. Because <laughs> he yeah, because Rory came up with the idea. Yeah, he comes up with the idea to check the Solarian arc for its defense systems. And then the doctor is so impressed by this that he kisses Rory on the mouth. And this isn't the first time that the doctor has shared a uh, same-sex kiss. It goes all the way back to season one with Christopher Eccleston and uh, Captain Jack at the end of season one. But this so is the doctor's idea this time. Yes, it, it is It is different, but the act is the same. <laughs> but then I did like his slap of Rory. <laughs> Why give me that false hope? <laughs> Just, so that's part of the farce yeah, yeah, I thought the yeah, whole yeah. episode yeah. would have, which was fun. Yeah. And, and and that kiss was improv from Matt Smith, because when it happened, the director was like, oh, Really? Oh, oh I, I wondered about that because I, but Arthur Darrell just went with it so well. I was like, oh, it must have been, uh, must have been planned. Yeah. Well, which Looney Tune used to do that all the time? Is it Bugs? All of them. I think it's all of them. Yeah, all of them. Huh. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of is Looney Tunes. So all of them, I'll, I'll take that. Again, it goes Josh and he, him wanting this to be animated. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wow, it's I, full circle. <laughs> I did like Amy's line when the doctor's saying to Redell, you know, take another man with you or whatever. And it takes two men to pull off all the raptors and Amy grabs the gun. What are you doing? I'm easily worth two men. You can come if you want. <laughs> 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 I really liked that. That was a fun interview. Yes. Yeah. The, the one thing that I hate in television shows with people who aren't like properly trained with weapons, where they kind of point the gun forward every time they shoot. They kept doing this, like, bang, bang, bang. Rather than a recoil, it was a four-coil? Well, all right, yeah, I mean, they get, exactly. It, there was no recoil, but even even to, like, you would just hold the gun, like, it was, I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to shoot you. That's like me playing video games. <laughs> you know, that that's Silurian technology. Yeah. It's reversed. Right? So they, yeah, there is a it, it imitates their tongue. <laughs> oh, there you go. But yes, I, I know what you're saying, Josh. Uh, he was doing it more than her, but because I think she's been doing enough of action stuff. Not not in the Marvel movies yet, but like you know, I think she had things season. going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, she, but still. But I, I know what you're talking about because Rydell Rydell is supposed to be a big game hunter. So I would yeah. imagine him his mannerisms with a weapon to be more professional, shall yeah. we say? <laughs> yeah. Bang! Bang! It's almost like, yeah, it's like kids going, I got that one. I got that one. I got that yeah. one. <laughs> you get a tranquilizer. You get a tranquilizer. You get a tranquilizer. Right before this, when Amy is talking with the doctor and um, she has a line there where I believe the doctor says, you'll be the true end of me. And she says, or vice versa. Yeah. And it's, it's of course, foreshadowing, like, of course the pawns are going to be leaving soon. Like, they must. Yeah. But how are they going to leave? So. And to add to that, to go a little bit further, this is where we find out that Amy gave up modeling. Mm. And then these are some more uh, lines that I like. Uh, she says to the doctor, she gave up modeling. And then he says, you can't settle. 
every minute she's look she's kind of like looking out for the TARDIS. So that kind of uh, told me some some of this uh, backstory that we ha- we wa- aren't shown that the reason Amy and Rory are kind of annoyed in the beginning is that whenever this TARDIS sound comes in, it's it's disrupting their lives. So they can't hold steady mm-hmm. jobs. And that's something I sort of don't like, but I like that it's explained, if that makes sense. Mm. The, the thing that I don't like about like this first section where Amy is complaining and then jumping to the end where she doesn't want to travel with him again, like that, that really didn't seem congruous to me because, and maybe, maybe the shooting the Raptors is what caused that change. But the, the, the pawns seem to really enjoy traveling with the doctor and are jealous when they're not traveling with the doctor. So this was like a character, like this was what felt wrong character wise for the pawns. Yes. At the end of this episode. But that might have been more to service. More. Yeah, I feel like that's the arc that they're going through is that they are now, because again, like we've just said, they were almost like a, a second and third doctor in this episode. So where are these characters going? It's it's kind of like, what's the draw of an adventure if the if it's so if it's commonplace? So yeah, because the consistency between the last episode, Asylum of the Daleks, when Amy and Rory and the doctor are jumping down through the travel device to go to the asylum she says this is something i miss and then now in the second episode she's saying this is not what i want yeah i feel like first of all the whole entire i had a baby and it got stolen and now she's an adult and blah blah blah, probably would have done the job um if not if not the episode where there's two amy's and one amy gets stuck for 40 years or whatever that's the one where arthur says like i don't want to do this anymore right and that is very believable um, yep. So yeah, compared to those two incidents, this was child's play. I agree. That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Solomon threatens to kill Nefertiti unless the Doctor releases the ship. The Queen has had enough and takes down Solomon. The Doctor replaces the ship's signal with the Silurian one, so the missiles will target Solomon's ship, leaving the dinosaurs alive. The Doctor and Nefertiti leave Solomon's ship, which is destroyed by the missiles. The Doctor wants to deliver the dinosaurs to a safe time on Earth, but Rory tells the Doctor to drop them off first. It's time to go home. But first, they show Brian the Earth from orbit. Together, Riddell and Nefertiti return to Riddell's camp in 1902, and Brian travels the world. Now, before we get into the extreme amount of negative stuff in this, this part had my only true gigantic laugh, and that's the Doctor turns the off the robots and they start singing Daisy. That was great. It's, it's from... 2001 when Hal is getting shut off he slowly dies to saying Daisy so it was like I thought that was very clever and that was great but also it's that easy to turn the robots off doctor you could have done it when all the death and destruction was happening earlier so I, I thought this was supposed to be crazy <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be the praise part <laughs> I did the praise. It was for a second. It was a great joke. I heard it. That was the that was the great amount of praise I could give this episode. I gave it what it deserved. So here's my praise for this portion: is that I enjoy that the doctor gave Rory's dad Brian something, and he's just sitting there on the edge of the oh, TARDIS. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. It's just you didn't need to do that, and I thought it was a great gift. And the way that the actor played it was just. I know he's acting against the green screen, but he plays it so well. That was beautiful. It was really I... sweet. And and this isn't the first time we've seen this. The Doctor has done this with uh, Runaway Bride with Donna and then with Amy and the Beast Below. 
I even like that he has he has enough, um, I guess, courage to ask the doctor for something because throughout this episode, the doctor has seen him as sort of an annoyance or like, what are you doing here? Hmm. They yeah, never I, showed Brian at the wedding, did they? No. So he's kind of an afterthought then. Yeah. It was fun that they they set up his travel phobia earlier and then paid it off at the end here with all his latest adventures. The postcards. Yeah, I liked that. This whole climax is just terrible. Um, It's like, you know, the stakes are are so high because Solomon has the queen until she hits him and it's done. Um, The doctor lets Solomon die. Yeah, Yeah. the doctor kills him. Intentionally. And it's, it's... because, I mean, he's an evil, evil, evil person. But, you know, technically he didn't even kill the family of blood after all they did, you know. He didn't it, kill Hitler, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, it's just, it just seems so out of place. Uh-uh. I mean, the line of, did you did you give the Silurians a chance? That is a good line if you can make it work contextually. And I don't think it did because it was- character. <laughs> Yeah. River might have said that. Oh, River totally would have said that, and I'd have no problems. And he's a pirate. I mean, the 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 Downton Abbey guy who is captain of that pirate ship probably did the same kind of thing when he wasn't with the Doctor. He's a pirate, you know. Mm-hmm. And it my should... point is that like it's in the character of the Doctor occasionally to go that far, but it's in the character of the show to stop him. Yeah. Right. And they didn't stop him. He should, the doctor should have definitely had this dilemma, but it should have been either somebody else like Nefertiti to push the button to condemn Solomon to his death. Mm. It felt more in line with her as a character that we've seen in this episode. Yeah, she would kill. Just yeah. because also the time period was very different. Yeah. But I think if, we, if that would have happened, we would have thought that the doctor is using someone else to do his dirty work. Because it I, seemed so. To they me, could have written so it personal. away. Yeah. They could have written it in a way where she just ran up and. Yeah. They Think, also could have written it in a way where Solomon didn't die. Yeah, that's and true. Where, you know, the, doc, the doctor just says, you know, I imagine there's plenty of places out there that would want to put you in jail. Let's go find one. But yeah. he's like Lotso hugging bear. Like, there's no redeeming qualities there. Oh, but no, but then everybody's plush toys of him. I don't get it. <laughs> and I think that's that's my main problem is that the doctor didn't have that moment of here are your options. Which one do you choose? Right. That's why in my mind, I'm like, it should have been Nefertiti to condemn him, given the story we were given. <laughs> do, do you know more about like the history of writing this episode? Like, was it always coming second or did it get bumped for oh. um, Jenna Coleman's reveal in Asylum of the Daleks? Like, cause it kind of feels like it could be, you know, a first episode. Um, uh, um, I do know that Moffat said to Chibnall, make this episode bonkers. I do know that much. <laughs> and I think he kind of did that literally. <laughs> Why would you give that direction? Especially two episodes after River, the wedding of River Song. Okay, so dinosaurs on a spaceship in a town called Mercy were the first episodes produced in season seven. Okay. Yeah, because you wouldn't shoot any of the Jenna Coleman stuff until she was shooting regularly, probably. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's true. She doesn't share any scenes with anyone. You could have done it whenever. Yep. And I'm sure the showrunners have that same, like, conversation over and over forever, you know? Like, oh, I should have done this one instead or did this, but yeah, once schedules and calendars and everything come out, you gotta get to them at some point, yeah. Yep. All right, so we mentioned Riddell, or Rydell, is played by Rupert Graves, who plays Inspector Lestrade in Sherlock, and he was... (laughs) And he was 
he was Dominic in V for Vendetta, which is part of the like the news studio people. And then he was uh, Robert in Death at a Funeral. And then we mentioned uh, Mark Williams, who plays Brian Williams. He is Arthur Weasley in the Harry Potter movies. He is Billy in Stardust. He's the one that gets turned in, uh, the Billy goat turns into a human for the inn. He is Wabash in Shakespeare in Love, which I love his ending scene. He's the one that's always stuttering. And then at the end, he finally doesn't stutter when he gives his opening to uh, Romeo and Juliet. And also in Shakespeare in Love, he's also with Simon Callow, who plays Dickens in our modern Doctor Who. David Bradley plays Solomon. We've previously heard his voice in a Doctor Who tie-in episode. He played Shan Sheath Blue's voice in the Sarah Jane Adventures Death of the Doctor. And he plays Argus Filch in the Harry Potter movies. Walder Frey in Game really? of and Thrones. What he's gonna be playing, you're not gonna say that. I'm saving that for Oh, the then movie. I might cut me out. <laughs> He plays Walder Frey in Game of Thrones, Jack Marshall in Broadchurch, Josh mentioned Arthur Webley in Hot Fuzz, he's Basil in The World's End, and he will. we will see him, I think the first time we will see him again is going to be the uh, playing William Hartnell in the docudrama Adventure in Space and Time. I never saw that. You will. Because <laughs> it, it, ties, it ties in with the 50th. Ryan Steele plays Queen Nefertiti. She is Suzanne in Crazy Head. She's in the first episode. She is Amy's friend who gets possessed. It's just a fun show. That's why I wanted to bring that up. She plays Plum Chatwin in The Magicians. Catherine Starr in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And that's the mom of the little girl that is the uh, antagonist of the that movie. Oh, okay. There's a flashback sequence in Argentina where things explode, so. Now you know who to look for. <laughs> Suntara Sarkar plays Indira, the leader of the India Space Agency. And she plays Shanahan Harrison in Broadchurch. Noel Byrne and Richard Garrity play Robot 1 and 2, like the, the people in the costumes. And then we mentioned the voices are David Mitchell and Robert Webb. Uh, Richard Hope plays Blaythal. And we previously saw him as Malachi in The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood and the, the Wedding of River Song. And he plays Arthur Tamworth in Broadchurch Season 3, I believe. And then Rudy Dharmalangyam plays the ISA worker, who is the other person that talks to Indira. He has a couple of lines. So <laughs> I saw something on IMDb. So I'm just going to say this is a rumor because I don't know where the person got their information. So there's a rumor that this episode was based off of an idea that the VFX crew had where they wanted to do dinosaurs on a spaceship. Yeah, because they had the, the I guess, the models from the show Primeval. So they reused them for some of these shots. I wondered oh. about that because I went in watching it, impressed with the effects. I'm like, why? The amount of money that went into this episode just for this episode is insane. Like I would, I never would have approved that if I was a producer. <laughs> like how, like the, 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 so to reuse all those. Yes, very good. Yeah, but I like I that makes that makes a lot of sense now. This feels like a producer's job to kind of tell somebody in the writing team, Moffat and Chibnall, you can't be too attached to this title, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. It's not financially possible. Well, I'm yeah, sure Mark Moffat is the proof of profit, the, the yeah. producer. He's the executive producer, showrunner. There are other producers that I think should have been. Yeah, but he's more the vocal. boss. He's the I, boss. I, I'm just saying that that's what a good producer would do is kind of speak up. Yeah, but when that familiar person with is the, the entertainment guy, industry. <laughs> 
I just know from other things that like that's what would have been great is for somebody to tell somebody no. And I think people are afraid because it's Stephen Moffat. Mm. Well, also too, I'm sure the marketing department loved that. That's going to get tons of people to watch. Yeah, but they might not like the episode if that's what they're expecting. But yeah. they'll tune in, and that will provide uh, advertising eyes. I mean, it's, uh, it's all about money. Whenever you think about Hollywood, though, why would they do that? The answer is money. And then you just have to work backwards and figure out how that, that how, how that made them money. I'm sorry, I got myself so buck. I'm just trying to justify to myself what I would do if I had a time machine. That's all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Who is this episode good for? Or more specifically, this episode is good for who? A new viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of the show, or a diehard? I think casual because a fan would be annoyed a fan and hire would be annoyed at what we're all talking about <laughs> and a casual a new viewers just don't even watch this and a, a casual viewer is like yeah i like doctor who oh what's this one i won't be offended by the things that went wrong well until i was reminded of the off ending i feel like i could use this as an introduction to someone if they were like i wanna i wanna see what check out what this doctor who is all about but i would have them watch this up or no, no no if someone told me that they just watched this cold and they want to watch more doctor who i would say then skip to the 13th doctor because now i mean the writer is the showrunner um for, for someone who's never seen Doctor Who, we are explained the whole time travel thing very early on in the episode and in a way that like doesn't take up a much a lot of time because we have this Brian who's entering this world for the very first time. So he's your your introduction. Like if you're never watched Doctor Who, you're following Brian. Brian is who you're following. Um, so I don't know. It's like, for me, it's either someone who's never seen Doctor Who or a diehard band who's going to like every single episode because they got to like every single episode. Well, they're very different. Pick one. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say new. Yeah. I'm not going to say new. Um, as a matter of fact, I was going to say diehard, but I am such a big fan of Josh's rationale. That I almost want to say casual now. Like, that was brilliant. Why would a diehard fan want to watch this? <laughs> um, but I'm going to stick with diehard. I was this close, but. Diehard. That's it, Brian? You're not going to elaborate? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, diehard. Done. Well, I was listening to the two arguments between Brian's one word and <laughs> Josh, and I was going to say diehard, similar to Heather at the beginning, but she stayed with it. And I think I'm switching it over to casual. Yeah, I wouldn't shift switching it over to casual because I agree with Josh's explanation. I, think I thought it was going to be the least, only one. I think the least you know might be the better, except I would still not go for a new person. Because I think that's going to throw them off more than get the ending. Else. The doctor killing somebody is very out of place. True, but I don't think if you're new or casual, you get that as deeply. You go along with the... No, not as deeply, but would it make you want to watch more shows? Since they really don't put an emphasis on him killing or put an emphasis on him not killing or giving someone a chance, they just sort of do it. So I don't think it has as much impact for somebody who's not really into the show. All right. Yeah. Okay. On that point, I will say I enjoyed the ending. I think that guy should have been blown up. I think it was extremely out of character for the doctor to do it. So if I didn't have that. Oh, okay. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. If I didn't have that reference, I would have been like, yeah, blow that guy up. I yeah. thought you were going to switch it out of casual because I agreed with you. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I will say, though, like on my second rewatch for this podcast, I did enjoy it, um, despite its flaws. 
So for that reason, I am going to put it in the fan category because I consider myself a fan. And um, yeah, but I wouldn't, I, I think I've definitely mellowed on my, my hatred of it. So I wouldn't deny anybody who now tells me they like it. Like I wouldn't deny them their like of it because I can understand it more, but fan. For me, this is tough because it's not new and it's not diehard. It falls somewhere in the middle. And I think it's because of the placement of episodes from last season. I feel that mistake with this episode a lot. Like dinosaurs on a spaceship could have been served as a season opener, like we've discussed, but there are just certain things that could have been reworked. Um, to make a choice, I'm just, just gonna put it in casual. Well, and I, I, I just wonder what would have happened had this come before Asylum of the Daleks. Like if you saw Amy and Rory like this, and then made another 10 months and now they were getting split. Like, would that change perceptions? If, if they planned on ordering the episodes that way, they probably wouldn't have, it would have changed the, it would have made their story work chronologically. That, that would have been rejiggered, mm -hmm. I would yeah. think. But if you watch Dinosaurs on a Spaceship first, Asylum of the Daleks and the Town Called Mercy, I think it would still work the way they are because of sure. the doctor popping in and out. Mm. But yeah. I would have liked to seen what you just mentioned, Josh, of how they would have taken the divorce story, put that into Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, and then mm -hmm. taken the other and put it into Asylum of the Daleks. I, I what especially, if, right? Yeah. Especially with the dad there, that might have made it, you know, some really interesting tensions if Brian was counseling Rory on his marriage. Yeah. But, yeah. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's our new question. This episode of Doctor Who, coulda, woulda, or shoulda. So that wraps up Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who Knew Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who Knew Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. I forgot to take my bathroom break, so Brian, go ahead and read. And then I'll join. <laughs> Anything else? feels like we can move on. No, I need a bathroom <laughs> yeah. break. I'm so sorry, but you guys just keep reading. I don't... Okay, yeah, I'll just be reading. Yeah. Anything else? No, but while you read, I'm going to take a bathroom break, but I will be listening. <laughs> I'm going to put myself on mute oh. so I can still hear. Thank you. Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> Good, you, we can't hear you. Okay, Brian. <laughs>